when we chant the, in the morning, Sape Sankarani Chasape Tamanata, these two sentences, very important to always uh, reflect on the meaning of those. Because that will always keep you from misinterpreting, misunderstanding experiences that you might have. It can be very kind of personal and subjective and and uh, therefore this uh, uh, the Buddha emphasized is that all that arises ceases, all Dhamma is not self. So in the when we when uh, we talk about avicca Vajaya Sankara and it's ignorance conditions the the sankharas the karmic formations. So when we when we operate from a position of, of ignorance, not understanding the truth, then then everything that we uh, experience and do and say and feel is is conditioned from that ignorance. Absolutely everything. And this is where the self, the self view is such a is such an uh, a kind of blind spot. It will all the self, as a, uh, say, when we think of the sankharas as self, rather than when we say sapetama anatta, the ignorant person, the ignorant being, really assumes that all sankharas are oneself, or that some of them are anyway. <laughs> So the sankharas are me and mine, and then everything that happens, everything that I experience is is referred to that sense of me as a sankara, me as a person, me as a physical body, me as a as a as a perception and so this is avicca bhajaya sankara now if you replace banya or vicha or knowledge now that's what we say sankarani cha sapetamanata that's wisdom that's knowledge we no, not not just the uh, repetition of that of that of those two poly sentences but the actual insight into looking into examining the, this through uh, through reflection all conditions are impermanent. All sankharas are impermanent. All dhamma is not self. So then there's vicha and dhamma rather than avicca and sankara. There's knowing and there's the knowing the dhamma. There's knowledge, knowledge of the dhamma, the truth of the way it is, rather than avicca, bhajaya, sankara. So then all the rest follows suit. If there's vicha, then there's dhamma. Then everything is dhamma. Everything is seen as it is. There's no, there's no distortion. Consciousness and the aggregates, uh, five aggregates and all the rest, the, the sense world and the, the whole lot of it is seen as dhamma rather than as self. Now contrast that 
we're dhamma with self, the self view of me and mine as sankara with, with avicca as the, as the cause. Why do, what, is your, what is your suffering in life anyway? Why do you, why do you suffer? Eh, you can always trace it back to avicca, bhajaya, sankara if you want. There is a natural suffering of going hungry and getting old and getting sick and things. Of, but that's, that's, that's all bearable. That's not, there's nothing uh, that we can't bear in regards to, to the natural processes. They, they're all right. It's all right. Sickness and old age and death and all that is something uh, we can always uh, bear with. That's not, that's not real suffering. But the suffering is the, is the greed, hatred, and delusion we produce, the self-view, the distortions of reality, the creations and the attachments to, to wrong views and prejudices and biases and, and all the, the, the horrors that we are responsible for, that humanity has produced in and, uh, and uh, generated onto each other's lives. The things we do to each other and to ourselves, the way we can be so cruel and so uh, hard and, and, and selfish and insensitive, is all traced back to avicca, bhajaya, sankara. <coughs> And we can't really expect for very much improvement if we still insist on being ignorant, caught in the self-view, and uh, and we're just going to. Even though we might have, uh, we might be able to improve conditions slightly by have, uh, by trying to be a good person. We still very much, no matter how good we want to be as a person, as long as there's attachment. There's delusion. So even the goodness that we do is comes from delusion, and it, it's not it's not uh, it's not it's not liberating from suffering. We're still going to suffer even though we we uh, do good things. If we don't have wisdom, then oftentimes goodness we we try to do good, but we end up hurting and harming and causing all kinds of problems. The the uh, inevitable do-gooders of the world. I want to, let me tell you what's good for you. Bringing our attention back to the way it is. What is it now, say, at this moment? Your body is sitting, isn't it? Breathing. You You can feel things, can't you? Pleasure, pain, or heat, or cold, or whatever. 
there's uh, the uh, nada, the, uh, the ringing silence, the way things are. Uh, the way things are is, is put bringing our attention to the way things are. We're not, there's no self in that, is there? We're not creating the self. And so we bring our attention to the way things are because in the self-view we can see what we do when we, we create the me and mine onto the moment. What I think, what I feel, what I want, what I don't want, what I like, what I don't like. Or, or the, the selves we create in others. My opinions about you, my perceptions of you that I might be grasping. How much suffering have I experienced in my life by creating you? I've suffered a lot from, from creating people in my mind. Years of suffering, before I became a monk, I suffered enormously. Why? Not because anybody was really cruel to me or anything. I have fairly kind of pleasant life, actually. Good parents and, and uh, had all the advantages of uh, living in a, in a good society and so forth. I can't blame it. But it was the, all the things I used to make out about myself and about other people. The fear of what others thought. The jealousies. The envy the greed, the possessiveness. I feel if I, if I get attached to somebody, I get very possessive. I want to own them. <laughs> I get jealous. And then if somebody got possessive with me, I'd get angry, <laughs> wanting to shake them off. I have all kinds of delusions about people. I'd, I'd really misunderstand them. I have my prejudices and views about them, what I think they really are up to, what they really want, my suspicions. Very suspicious, critical. And my criticisms would tend to, if I saw something that's a flaw in a person, that tend, then I'd form an opinion about that person that I could carry around. You know, there's a you have to catch you in a bad moment. You've had it the rest of my life. <laughs> so the suffering of that that comes out of of the creations we make about ourselves and others, about our parents, about all the people closest to us. People we love, people we hate. <laughs> what is suffering? Uh, really ask yourself, what is the suffering that of your life? And here at Amravati, just notice what, you know, be aware of the way it is, like, the, I mean, uh, you know, the, the weather, the, the, um, the bleakness, the cold, the rain, 
the, the strong wind, the cold winds of yesterday, you know, walking out there on the field. Again, one of the incredibly cold, biting winds that blow, blow through me. Is that suffering? Well, I could make it suffering. I could. I could say, I hate this cold wind, I don't like it. But actually, it was all right. I mean, it's something I could completely bear. It did not, uh, I didn't, didn't blow me down. It didn't hurt me at all. If I didn't, if I didn't uh, make anything about it in my mind, it was just cold wind, that's all, nothing as, as, as it is. Notice here, Anamavati, just, just the, uh, is, is anyone here asking you to do immoral things? Or is there, is there, a, is the, is the attitude here to encourage everyone toward moral responsibility? And that's what we, we, we uh, really uh, intend for the, for this community is encourage moral responsibility. We, we, we want everybody to take on moral, the moral responsibility, have moral integrity. And yet we can spend time here at Amravati uh, creating monks, nuns, anagarikas, anagarikas, lay people, can't we? We can create senior bhikkhus in our mind. So here sometimes the ajans. <laughs> or senior nuns. They think they're senior. If you're a junior nun or an agarika, you can really make senior nuns into big ogres, can't you? <laughs> senior nuns. Or senior anagarikas. <laughs> <laughs> These are, we can, we can have strong views about seniority. If we're in the senior positions, we can be very attached to it. I'm senior to you. You're just a new monk. You're just a new anagarika. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm boss. <laughs> so seniority, we can we can uh, we can create ourselves into senior monks. I can be, I can be create a senior monk in my mind and and kind of dump it onto you. But that's not what we're here for. Is it? to 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 avicca bhajaya sankara. We're not here to create sankaras out of ignorance. That's not the purpose of our life. So that it's to it's to have vicha and and see the dhamma and realize the truth. So the conventions we have are merely expedient means. They're expedient. They're they're just convenient. They're simplifications. They're agreements, moral agreements, and and uh, community agreements. 
just to make life simple and, and uncomplicated. And also where we can reflect on all the kind of tendencies we have in regards to uh, our relationship, the way we relate in, to people above, people senior, people the same, people junior. Now the Buddha said, <coughs> we think I'm equal to is not right. I'm superior, that's not right. That's a delusion. I'm inferior is a delusion. I am equal with every, everybody's equal is a delusion. I'm superior to everyone is a delusion. I'm inferior is a delusion. I am is a delusion. <laughs> if I am, it's coming from avicca. But when there's vicha, then I am is merely conventional reality. It's just convention. It's the way we talk. We say, I am hungry, or I am uh, sumato bhikkhu, and so forth. Merely conventional uh, realities only. It's not, but it's not a person. It's not avicca, bhajaya, sankara. So then avicca, bhajaya, sankara, sankara, bhajaya, vinyana. Uh, then sankara, when there's a vicha, that conditions the, the sankharas, which conditions the consciousness. So consciousness then becomes uh, affected by that. We're conscious of things, uh, whatever we're conscious of is, is related to me and mine, isn't it? Consciousness is me and mine. And then consciousness conditions nama rupa, nama rupa conditions salayatana, salayatana conditions pasa, pasa conditions vedana. So this, this sensory world with, uh, with, its, with, the, with the physical sense organs, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, the mind itself, all of that coming up when, when, it, when it, ignorance is the cause, the rest is, a, is affected by that. It's all re- related on the level of me and mine, the self-view. <coughs> when there's vicha, then there's dhamma. So the, these are the dhammas, kusala dhamma, akusala dhamma, pyagak, Apiyakata tamma sukhaya vedanaya sampayuntan tamma tukaya vedanaya sampayuntan tamma atuka matsukaya vedanaya sampayuntan tamma vipaka tamma vipaka tamma tamma neva vipaka na vipaka tamma tamma. I go on. The dhamma, dhamma, you see. All that all dhamma is not self. Kusala dhamma, akusala dhamma, apayakata dhamma. There's no self in that, isn't there? There's skillful, unskillful, neither skillful nor unskillful dhammas. Everything is dhamma. It's not self. I'm no, no longer, I'm a skillful person, or I'm an unskillful person, or you're, a, you're an unskillful person, you're a skillful person, a kind of absolute. Uh, 
perceptions of he is a very skillful person, he is not. There is skill and there is there's kusala, there's akusala, and so forth. It's the dhammas, we see dhamma. Sape tama anatta. All dhamma is, is anatta. Now Buddhism is as a say in contrast to Brahmanism, where the, the Brahmanism or the Hindu talks about the Atman or the higher self or the one, the Buddha never never uh, would would never would never go along with that. Would never go along with the Atman. The self is is always when the Buddha talks of self, it's related to the attachment to the five khandas, to the mortal, to the, to the mortal khandas, to rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, vijnana, the attachment to, to that, and the abhicca, vajaya, sankara. All this is the sense of a self, a personality view, sakaya ditti. We call it. This is one of the, the uh, fetters. Isn't it? Sakaya Titi, the personality view. Now this particular way of of speaking or of thinking, I find very helpful because it's very clear. It's a very skillful way to think. Actually, is with these Buddhist, with these Pali terms. In fact, it's uh, that's why uh, one wants to keep the uh, the even the Pali language. Even though I mean, why keep that language? Nobody understands it. But actually, I, it, it, uh, it, uh, it's uh, the, the language, because it is a, a dead language, it doesn't change with fashion, does it? It's, it's, it remains pretty much static, where English is always, uh, you know, you're never quite sure what the meanings are anymore, because it's a, it's a live language, isn't it? English is very much alive and changing and adapting, and, and uh, it's it can change very quickly. But actually, when you start thinking about Dhamma, you need, you, you need to really uh, start, it through, say, when you're contemplating Dhamma, you're reflecting on the way things are, you find that the Pali terms, these, these uh, lists and so forth that we have in Theravada Buddhism, are actually very helpful. Because they're very helpful, very very skillful reflections as you begin to contemplate, say the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. These things suddenly become something very, uh, very meaningful to you. Even your your thinking goes towards towards clarity rather than towards a muddled kind of mystical muddle. That's what happens to a lot of 
mystics, isn't it? They have muddled thinking. And you read like a lot of Gnostic uh, li- uh, teachings, Christian Gnosticism. It's such a muddle, isn't it? Because they don't, I mean, they're trying to express some, some ineffable e- experience or insight. But they don't have, they don't have a, 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 the ability to, to produce the thoughts in a clear way. So it comes out very, very subjective, like, like modern abstract art, isn't it? Absolutely meaningless to anyone but the painter. Is that modern art can be so subjective it absolutely means nothing to anyone. What is it? <laughs> the, the painter, that's expression of my <laughs> innermost feelings. <laughs> but they, I mean, one time I remember looking at some paintings by Jackson Pollock and thinking, any mind that could produce that must, must be an alcoholic. <laughs> and I was right. <laughs> was an alcoholic. But we're not, we're not trying to condition ourselves into a party line or into a kind of uh, affirmations of, of religious doctrine. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. We're not kind of just re- trying to reaffirm uh, Theravada's Buddhism as a kind of doctrine and, and that we believe in. But uh, as you can see, how to use the conventions for insight <laughs> And I'm not, from my own experience through meditation, I've had some very kind of profound subjective experiences during the past 22 years. <laughs> I mean, if, if I wanted to explain them on a personal, uh, as a personal experience, you know, it's one way of doing it, isn't it? Of, of giving a, a very subjective uh, uh, interpretation. But I've always appreciated the fact that I would relate all my, my insights and, and subjective experiences and strange, uh, strange experiences. I've had some strange experiences and things like this. I always relate it to the Dhamma, to Sape Sankarani Cha, Sape Tamanata. I've always, I've always used those two sentences to get everything straight, not to, to, to make anything, to, to exaggerate or to, to, uh, to, to inflate these very uh, subjective experiences. And that keeps you from going nutty or from, from overestimating your own, you know, maybe some profound experiences you have subjectively. If you don't have that, you can, people, people, religious experience can, people can get quite nutty, can't they? They can really be very weird and, and uh, very deluded by 
the subjective uh, experiences they have through meditation. And this is where uh, Buddhism, being a Gnostic religion, it is a, it is a form of gnosis, isn't it? So it's a way of knowledge. It's never, never become balmy or crazy like a lot of the other Gnostics because it is, it's always provide, like the Buddha said, I leave the Dhamma Vinaya. No, I leave when, when he was uh, dying. And they said, what will we do without our teacher? He says, I leave the Dhamma Vinaya. So the Dhamma teachings and the Vinaya discipline are, the, are, are something that we must really consider and contemplate. Because if the Buddha said, I leave, this is your teacher, you're not to go around looking for another Buddha or a Bodhisattva or guru or anything. You're not trying to find another one. But if, if what, did, what, did he, what did Gautama the Buddha really mean when I said, you have this Dhamma Vinaya? Well, from my own experience over the years of meditation, uh, that, that I, I understand what he meant by that, that, that is what we, that is our teacher, the Dhamma Vinaya. Now say for example, the Vinaya discipline, for say, say the bhikkhus discipline. That's a very skillful convention actually, which, which uh, uh, say has a, a very good effect on a long term. Say, if you've been living under the vineyard for 20 years, I look back and I feel, oh, how wonderful. I didn't always like living under the vineyard. I, I found the vineyard the least attractive for part of, uh, of Buddhism. My, I'm not the kind that loves disciplines and rules. It fidgety. I mean, people talk about rules and they get lost. <laughs> but... Some people love rules, some people don't. I don't, I happen to not like them very much. But all over the years, I can see that how I really appreciate the rules. Because in just that convention of learning to, to restrain oneself within the limits of a, of a very practical convention, such as the Vinaya. <clears throat> that has kept me from doing all kinds of things I would have done if I didn't have the Vinaya. Uh, over 20 years, 22 years in fact, is, that's prevented or stopped me from committing heavy karmic actions. They, if you if you keep to the vinya, you try to stay within the boundaries and the restraint of vinya, you really can't do anything very bad. <laughs> if, you, if you're determined to stay, try to limit your actions and speech to within the, within the limits of that discipline, you really, for say, for the past 22 years, I haven't done anything very bad. <coughs> I've been celibate for 22 years, for one thing. I'm not, and, and I haven't uh, uh, touched money, and I've, I've uh, 
not, and I've kept, tried to keep within. I, I've not always been uh, kind of totally successful, but generally speaking, uh, that the that the restraint has has definitely, uh, say, over a long period of time, had a very beneficial effect. So I feel nothing but respect and and gratitude to the vinya. It's a, it's a, and I, I encourage uh, the keeping of good vinya. It's most important if, because it is a very skillful, very valuable inheritance from the Buddha. And the Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha, and as you, as you, this, this two months retreat gets going, you begin to really understand those teachings. Understand and, and, and have insight knowledge. Begin to understand why the world is the way it is. Why things are as they are. You begin to free yourself from the, the misery that you create uh, coming from avicca bhajaya sankara. And we, can, we can, I remember in uh, the first year when I was a samanera, I had uh, an insight into anatta. I had a real strong insight into no self during that year. And I realized how my life had been really unnecessarily miserable. <laughs> Just because until that time I'd always lived my life with avicca bhajaya sankara. And the self, the self view was always... I mean, I remember the early years as a young child had been very happy. Remember the first five, six years of my life being kind of magical. And then after six, seven, it started getting increasingly worse. <laughs> not, because, not anything to do with uh, anyone. It's not, uh, not to blame anyone. But it was the self-view starts getting strong, doesn't it? When you're about six, seven, and uh, then you... And you, you go into schools and you compete and you compare and you and you get all this this a sense, a strong sense of a self starts starts being conditioned into your mind. Before that, there wasn't there wasn't very much of a sense of self. I don't remember of it of it being at all. You know, not being much of anything. Then from about six to thirty-three. <laughs> 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 now coming from a country like the States also, which is a very nice country actually. It's, uh, it has so many advantages. There's so many, such a they give you so you're free to do anything you want practically, 
and uh, it's uh, certainly a, a, you know, a good fortune to be born there, I, I've always felt. <coughs> because it's really a, quite a, a pleasant country. But the United States is also a Vicha Bhajaya Sankara. There's not a tremendous amount of wisdom in that country. And, and the personality view is very much uh, the dominant theme, isn't it? In me and mine, I'm an individual, I have my rights, I can do what I want, I'm free. You can't tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? I'm just as good as you are, we're all equal. You think you're God or something? Get off my back. Uh, the, the egalitarian Americans uh, with their strong individualistic attachments to being an individual and a, and a fascinating personality. Personality plus. A real character. A good guy. These are the, <laughs> these are the American uh, uh, emphasis on, on the personal level. I think at one time, I remember in, in Bungwai, or in the, the, the European monks, began to realize that, that European men didn't feel so obsessed about being a good guy as the Americans. They, I mean, noticed that American men very much have this obsession about being considered a good guy and I noticed this wasn't such a strong value among the Europeans. You know, they're cultural, uh, very strong. It's a very important thing in, in, in at least what I remember of, of America. Well, I haven't lived there for so long. Maybe they've changed. We're reflecting here in Britain, what is the uh, what, uh, what are the values of, of, say, British society for men and women? What are you supposed to identify with and become? Just to know, not to, not to judge. I mean, being a good guy is, is, is all right, isn't it? Nothing wrong or bad about that. I mean, to be good, to be a good guy is certainly, uh, you know, nothing. I'm not condemning it. But as a as avicca bhajaya sankara, it can only bring suffering, can't it? When there's ignorance and, and the self-view, the good guy is always going to suffer. Avicca conditions the sankaras, which condition the consciousness, which conditions the <clears throat> mentality, corporeality, which conditions the six senses, which conditions the affects the contact, and then the contact, the Vedana. And then Vedana, Bhajaya, Dhanha. That's, that's uh, very important to contemplate, the Vedana-Dhanha connection. Now, in, in, in any given moment, there's, there, there can be a vicha, bhajaya, sankara, 
and then the dunha ubadana power sequence. You can notice that. If, if you're caught in, a, in attachment to personality view or self, then there's going to be desire, grasping and becoming, operating. We're just lost in that, in that pattern. Because when, when, there's, when there's ignorance in this moment now, then that affects everything. The consciousness and the senses and the sense objects and, and the feeling and then the desire comes, comes into it. I want something. I want to be happy. I want to become. I want to get rid of. The I want. Now, examine desire during this retreat. Really get to know what desire is. Contemplate it. And from my own reflections on I see it's always, it's just energy aiming at something. Sometimes it just can be restless, just kind of scattered, going any which way. This restless uh, movements, or it can be aimed at something very definite. I want this. Or it can be just uh, just going from this to that in a kind of confused, uh, confused restlessness, just wandering about and going over there. <laughs> There's a lot of vipavadanha in in us, isn't there? There's uh, a strong desire to get rid of things we don't like. To make everything, to, to, to get rid of anything that gets in the way as quickly as possible. The kind of instant uh, mentality. Uh, we want to get what we want instantly and get rid of what we don't like instantly. We can just get rid of, of uh, of the bad instantly. We don't, we don't, we don't value patience in our societies. We, will, we want efficiency. An efficient system gets rid of the bad things quickly and efficiently. Cleans up the messes, cleans everything, makes everything, cleans up, gets the bad out of the way so we have this nice appearance. Everything looks, looks nice. And then something comes in and, and kind of makes a mess and we to clean it up instantly, immediately. Because we don't like, we don't want obstacles, hindrances, or anything unpleasant. And we want to get rid of it quickly. So we're very, very impatient and we can be very get very upset and annoyed at things and we because we we, uh, we don't, because of this vipavadanha, desire to get rid of this, desire to get rid of that. The desire to become ambition, and, and this, uh, this is very much, even uh, is oftentimes a motivation within the religious life, isn't it? Is bhavadanha, to become some, something, to become an enlightened person, become an enlightened personality, to become something else, somebody else, 
to become one who, who attains something and achieves something. So, pavadana is to be studied and examined. Pavadana vipavadana. Now, you can reflect on it, aren't you? You can actually listen to these desires. I want to get enlightened. I want to become something. I want to get someplace. I want to achieve something. I really want to get them. I want to get samadhi. I want to, to really, uh, you know, this, this two months, I really want to make, make the best I can, I do the best I can so I can become something, have some kind of achievement or attainment from it all. <clears throat> or to get rid of things. I hope I get rid of all my lust and, and uh, anger during this retreat. Get rid of it. I hope I can get rid of the jealousies. I'll never have to be jealous again. Get rid of it during this retreat. I'm working on jealousy. I'm working on doubt. I'm working on fear. So I can get rid of my fear. At the end of this retreat, I'll have no more fears left. Because I'm going to really get right in there and annihilate fear. That's the whippo adanha, isn't it? Me, I'm not, there's something wrong with me and I've got to make it right. I've got to become something out by getting rid of these bad things, these wrong things about me. It's all the I am, the me and mine, isn't it? And gamadanha is quite obvious, isn't it? Just a desire for the sense, uh, uh, pleasurable sense experiences. Gamadanha wanting the, the, the pleasures, uh, beautiful or pleasant, lovely sense experiences. Gamadana, pavadana, vipuadana. Now these are to be, to be known and understood. Uh, like dana and dukkha oftentimes uh, are used uh, interchangeably in the suttas. And don't, and the trap of this, when you think about it, is that we tend to think, if you ask many people, they say, what is Buddha, Buddha teaches? said, get rid of your desires. <laughs> That's how some people interpret Buddhism. Buddha taught that you shouldn't have any desires. And that's, that's wrong, isn't it? Buddha taught us how to look and understand desire so we don't grasp it. That's not getting rid of it, uh, or that we're, we're taking, we're trying to annihilate desires, but to know desire, to really understand it, so that any desire can no longer delude us. So the desire to get rid of desire is still desire, isn't it? So the desire to get rid of desire is, you're still, you're not really looking at desire, you're just forming an opinion, grasping a perception that you shouldn't have desires and you've got to get rid of them. That's a grasping of a perception again. 
a position you take. So that we see the dhanha as dhamma rather than as self. We're looking at dhanha or desire as that which arises and ceases. It's dhamma, isn't it? Even the meanest desires are dhammas. They are all, all desires, if they arise, all desires arise and they all cease. Every one of them. I've not found one that doesn't. I haven't. 22 years of careful looking and close observation. I've not found any desires that, that arise and just keep rising. If any of you do find one, please tell me. So the, the, when you really understand and know desire for what it is, dhamma dhanna bhava dhanna, now this is, this is a convenient way of looking at the kind of coarse to subtle desires, isn't it? Like dhamma dhanna is fairly coarse and obvious. I want something to eat. Or sexual desire, things like this. Very, very coarse, very obvious kinds of desires. But but vipavadana can be very subtle and righteous, can it? Vipavadana can be so righteous and kind of important and, and one can be deluded by the, the righteous quality and the kind of importance and significance of it. Like wanting to get rid of evil, the desire to get rid of, of evil. That can, that, can even, that can seem right, doesn't it? I mean, that we can really dedicate our lives. I'm going to dedicate my life to getting rid of the devils, killing the devils, getting rid of the evil in this world. And people think, oh, Ajahn Sumedho, such a wonderful man. He's so committed toward, toward righteous behavior and getting rid of evil things. I become a fanatic, and I start shooting down everything that looks evil. <clears throat> so that Vipavadana can, can, can appear, have the appearance of being so, something quite important and true and urgent. We're just kind of wanting to smoke dope and eat delicious food and have sex can be pretty coarse, you know, gross behavior. And we can, we can have it, and, and uh, this is what you can see in the, uh, the modern social problems, is the kind of, say, the, the degenerate uh, tendencies of the society that go into kind of sexual aberrations and drugs. And then these very righteous forms of the kind of Christian uh, fundamentalists and the and the what the the um, that that police inspector up in Manchester and <laughs> kind of thing where they they have very righteous views about 
And these, <coughs> these homosexuals, they're so disgusting, they deserve to die a miserable death from AIDS. We shouldn't spend a single pence on them. <laughs> and that's a kind of righteous, uh, 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 a self-righteous position, isn't it? And we think well, that, that, that those people condemn the degenerate, uh, loose-living, immoral behavior of one element of society. But we're looking at the at desire itself, both in it's just the kind of gross forms of, of just wanton lust to, to uh, passions of, of uh, uh, righteous uh, passions of wanting to kill and annihilate these degenerates. Now, contemplate that is something within your mind and not, not just... We have, I've seen both tendencies in myself. <clears throat> I see a strong, uh, I, can, I can certainly become very attracted to, uh, through gamadanha, or sensual pleasures. I do like sensual pleasures. I find them very attractive. <laughs> and they, and they, uh, but I also have very, uh, I can be very. I can, uh, there's something really hard and 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 self-righteous in me too, that can be very judgmental, critical uh, of others or of myself. The whippo wadanha, kind of saturnine energy. And then the bhavadana, the wanting, all the ambition and the desire to become something, to really achieve something and get somewhere and develop and and attain and and uh, and it and bhavadana can be very sweet too. You you're doing it for the welfare of others. You know, not just I want to. I'm on an ego trip. I want to become. Uh, I want to attain something just so I can say I have attained something, but. There's also the bhavadana wanting to, to, uh, to do it because you feel you'd like to help everyone else. I would, there's still the I am. I want to get enlightened and then I'm going to really help everyone else to do that. I really want to be totally unselfish. I want to become someone who's not selfish. I want to become someone who, who works totally for the welfare of all sentient beings. And that's, that's very altruistic, isn't it? That's, that's beautiful, altruism, that's inspiring. But it also can be bhavadana, if it's coming from avicca, bhajaya, sankara. The self-view, the I am, has not been penetrated, it's been still believed in. Me as, a, as the five khandhas. Or me as, a, as some kind of perception. So that bhavadana, uh, the, the, when we when we see with with vicha and see dhamma, when, when there's vicha and dhamma, then there's nobody to become anything or achieve or attain. 
things are as they are. Good is done and bad is refrained. We, there's, in action and speech, we refrain. There's the ref- restraint from doing bad and the, and the joy of doing the good. What is, left, is there, what, what, what is there left to do in life but to be virtuous? Isn't that the beauty of our humanity, this human situation? Isn't that what's truly joyful and lovely about being human is our ability to be virtuous? I can't think of anything else to do. Just to, 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 to uh, I think, that what, what a lovely opportunity in this, in this form, within these limitations, in this human realm, is our opportunity to, to be virtuous, the, uh, the occasion for virtue and for goodness, and refraining from doing evil, harmful things to ourselves and others. So I offer this for your reflection. Uh, reflecting on Dhamma, we, just the most obvious reflection on birth, like this morning when Sister Sundra came, said she's been ill, said it's the result of birth, isn't it? Your body gets colds, influenza. Why? Because it was born. And so that, that birth is the cause for old age sickness, death. Just a simple reflection like that. If you, what, what about cancer and, and AIDS and Parkinson's disease and, and all of this? You can try to, you try to maybe find a cause in some, something more, <coughs> something else rather than just the fact that being born means that that these bodies are subject to the disease, sickness, pain. And they get old and they die. <clears throat> the story of the woman who coming to Chitters with the sick baby in great agony saying, Ajahn Sumedho, why does this sweet little boy have to suffer? He hasn't hurt anyone. He's never hurt anyone. And all night long he nearly died from has trouble breathing. And why does he have to suffer? What did he do to deserve this? He was born. <laughs> he wanted to have a baby? Yeah. <laughs> this is the result. You brought you had the baby, it's born, it gets sick. And that's, that's not being cold-hearted or brutal, but it's pointing to, to, the, to the truth of the way it is, isn't it? And then what did the little boy do to deserve this sickness? So, if you want to make a personal assessment, I mean, you can speculate. Maybe in a previous life he, he stepped on a caterpillar or something, but they, the fact that we can actually know is that he was born. Birth 
means that we're subjected to pain. These bodies are going to feel pain and they, they're going to get illnesses and they get old and they die. Admittedly, some people are more inclined towards sickness than others, but we all have our fair amount of it, fair share of, of weakness, sickness, pain, um, and then we all get old and all die. Well, this is a Dhamma, isn't it? It's not a person anymore. You think, why, what did I do to deserve this? Why do, I, why do I have to suffer? What did I do to deserve cancer? I don't have cancer, by the way, but if I hear people say that, why, what did it, she was such a, she's always given to the church and she was a good mother and a good wife and she's so kind. Why does God allow her to have cancer? It's not fair. He should only let old biddies, the selfish, mean, nasty old bags have cancer. <laughs> <laughs> the nice good-hearted ladies shouldn't should get out of it they should be free from it <clears throat> I mean that's fair isn't that would be fair in the English sense of it should be fair <clears throat> but it seems that, that even the nicest uh, uh, people can get cancer as well as the not so nice ones. That's the way it is. The innocent, what, why, why should the innocent suffer? It should be only the guilty should suffer if we want things to be fair, don't we? People are, uh, like in a war, only the kind of it's only fair if, if only the bad ones, the people that start the wars and, and support them and that they suffer, it's all right. But in, in so, so in wars, most of the people that suffer are quite are the ones that don't start it and just get, happen to be in the wrong place. Just happen to be uh, the, the innocent bystanders, the, the women and the children and all these the people that uh, would like the war to stop sometimes it hit the worst. It's not fair, is it? It would be fair if, if, the, if the, you know, we had people like Mrs. Thatcher and, and, and um, Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev trying to have a duel or something. We were all glad when, when Hitler was done in. He was such a bad person that we could, he could kind of, uh, everybody rejoiced when he died. Sister Jotika told me everybody's quite happy when Franco died. <laughs> but then a lot of innocent, very nice people die, and they can die in terrible ways. Mm-hmm. Being tortured and brutalized and so forth. Why? It's not fair, but why did this happen? Because, why? Because we were born. <clears throat> There's that possibility of being tortured, isn't it? And the Buddhist monk, Ajahn Sumedho, living on the vineyard for 20 years, could be 
kidnapped by a terrorist organization and tortured to death in the most horrendous way. What did Ajahn Sumedho do to deserve that? He stepped on a caterpillar in a previous <laughs> life. <coughs> He's done it in this one, actually. <laughs> It's the result of birth, isn't it? Because of being born, we this this possibility is is part of the resu- is the result of of being born. Contemplating in this way, we we no longer whine about things not being fair and why does the world have to be this way? And it shouldn't be like this. It's not fair. It's not right. And not that we're justifying atrocities in and the, the crimes and the misery that human beings can experience, not a justification, but an acceptance of the fact that this is the way it is. Because if we don't accept the way it is, then we just create suffering. We worry, we blame, we condemn, we, we, can, we, we create all kinds of misery in our minds because the world isn't the way we like it and want it to be. It is the way it is. Now being born, a body being born, means that when we're born, the, the, uh, the, this formation is uh, born out into the world as a separate being. And it's conscious, isn't it? It's conscious. It's consciousness. It has, uh, there's, a, there's a Nama Rupa. There's, uh, there's, there's the um, body and the um, mental formations. There, are, there is the sense organs. There's contact with the sense world, and there's Vedana, feeling. So even the newest born baby feels, doesn't it? It feels hungry, feels cold, and a kind of base, even though its feelings haven't developed all that much, it still definitely feels. Instinctual feeling. Sensory feeling. A baby doesn't have any, any concept of a self yet, though, does it? Baby doesn't say, except the Lord Buddha, when he was born, said, I am the chief. But, but the rest of us, I don't think, ever made that claim. Except maybe when we've had too much to drink or something. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the... the um, <laughs> but the most babies that I know don't really think of them, don't have a self-view yet. You don't think about I am, do you, till you get older and grasp the perceptions of, a, of, of I am. I remember growing up, I had a sister two years older than myself. And so... She was uh, feeling very frustrated when she didn't want to take baths with me anymore. 
I didn't understand the difference between boys and girls. We used to have a lot of fun in the bathtub, my sister and I. <laughs> it's innocent fun, too. <laughs> but then she reached a certain age, she'd refused to take baths with me, and I couldn't understand it. I thought she'd just been difficult. She didn't like me anymore. Because she was developing a sense of, I am a girl, isn't it? And he is a boy, and the sense of, of, one, of uh, the, the resultant feelings that come from that. But when, you're, when the baby's born, whether it's male or female, it has no sense of being male or female, does it? <coughs> Doesn't think, I am a boy, I am a girl. That's conditioned into us later. We're aware of the differences and the cultural attitudes about boys and girls. <clears throat> so just contemplating what is conditioned into the mind through, through our culture and family and class and uh, the age that we live in. Uh, all of it is, is I am... Is, is something added, is put, instilled into the mind. It's not the mind itself. It's conditioned into the mind. We're conditioned about the I shoulds, what a good boy should be. Little boys should be this way, little girls should be that way. And uh, about the ideals that uh, the society has or the class has for the roles of male and female. That's conditioned into the mind. We get all kinds of suggestions from our family and, and peers about ourselves. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, a, a good boy or a bad boy or I'm clever or stupid or I'm lovable or not lovable or, or attractive or unattractive or whatever. These are uh, suggestions that we get from, from people around us. We, we, it, we form the self-view from all this. I am a... Uh, I am a bad boy. You can hear, because you're naughty and do certain things, and, and uh, parents can say, you're a bad boy. There was this little rhyme when I was a child, and Girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice. <laughs> and boys are made of frogs and snails and puppy dog tails. And I personally remember feeling um, quite put out at that. I because I like sugar and spice. <laughs> little boys were supposed to be difficult and problems, and little girls were sweet and good and obedient and so forth. This, is, this was just the, the, the perceptions that I acquired from, from, my, from that early part of childhood. <clears throat> Maybe it's true, I mean, but still, you... The, the, the self-view is formed on all these little rhymes and, and old wives' tales and 
cultural attitudes and and that of the t- of the age. Now, when you're meditating, you're become you're beginning to realize the the mind ground itself, where there, there is no where there's no conditions, when there's no sense of I am or a self. The I am a boy, I'm a girl, I am uh, lovable, I'm unlovable, all this. So this, this ceases, isn't it? It's, it? When that's not operating, there's still the, the mind of awakeness, alertness. <coughs> and that's what, in meditation, you are to notice, to realize that. What the unconditioned mind is, rather than the conditions that you tend to react to. They, the ignorant, unawakened individual tends to not notice. So when one, is, one is just caught in these reactions of I, I am this, I am that, I should be, I shouldn't be. And one just goes around and around with the I ams and believes it to be true and real. Reality, the real world. If you lived in the real world, you would... <laughs> The real world is, is uh, me trying to uh, buy a house, getting a mortgage, doing this, doing that, doing what is considered normal in the, in the society or the, the class that you're born into. But as, you, as, you, as the, the mental formation cease in the mind, what's left? You're not, you haven't dissolved into thin air. They're not unconscious. There's not, an, there's not a, a, an annihilation of anything. But there's a cessation of that which arises. The conditioned world ceases. The conditioned world that arises ceases. And so you, you're now practicing letting the world cease. And what's left is awareness, mindfulness, knowing. And that isn't, that is not, uh, that we say is, is not an I am, it's not a self, it's not, it's not a personal quality. It's not mine and not your, it, it's not m- any more mine than yours. When, the, when, we're when there's non-grasping and awareness, the mind is the same, isn't it? It's not my mind or your mind. <coughs> Boys and girls arise and cease in the mind. The body comes and goes, doesn't it? You aren't, uh, one isn't always uh, uh, thinking about the body. It's my, my body. If I... If I look into a, a mirror, and I, this is uh, getting few, these lines around my eyes and, and getting a few gray hairs, if you notice. <laughs> 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 and they, uh, and you get my, my appearance, my body, this is me, this is my face. Would you like a picture of me? I'll give you a picture of my face. That's, that's me. 
And that, so we, we do t- sometimes think of ourselves as our bodies and, and believe that that's what we really are. But most of the time we don't think that much about the body, do we, in, in, in the sense of it being me and mine. So the, the body as being me and mine ceases in the mind. Even though the body's still breathing, the, the view of it, the idea, the feeling of, of it being me and mine ceases. It's just as it is, isn't it? Bodies breathe. When you're practicing anapanasati, it's the breathing is, is, you're not thinking, this is my inhalation and I like this, and this is my exhalation, this is my inhalation, this is my exhalation, my inhalation, my exhalation, is it? And you go crazy trying to keep the me and mine going about your breathing. Do I breathe as well as Ajahn Tiridhamma? Some people like his inhalations better than they do mine. <laughs> but when it comes to exhalations, I'm the king. <laughs> it's absurd, isn't it? So the breathing, breathing is, is, uh, is, is, not, is not a self. Nobody's breathing, are they? There's not one person breathing in this room. But there's breathing going on. Bodies are breathing. Unless we start thinking, I'm breathing, then, the, then there's somebody born who's breathing. Do you see what I mean? In the, in the reflection of, of I am, in the, my breath, I breathe, then, and, and, and all that that implies, then a self, a person is born who's breathing. But say, when there's not that operating, then, then there is breathing, but there's nobody breathing. It's a, a kind of paradox, isn't it? These bodies breathe. That's their nature to breathe. Whether you think your body is yours or you think it's somebody else's or you like it or don't like it or whatever, whether you're aware of it or unaware of it, it's still breathing because it, that's its nature. As long as it's alive, it breathes. And so it's, it's not a self. But the view, the, 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 the thought... I breathe is something we create, isn't it? It can be a convention, conventional reality, samuti satya, we call it, or conventional truth. And say, I breathe is, a, is not a kind of uh, obsession of my mind, it's just a statement. But then it can be uh, coming from avicca, bhajaya sankara, where, where I breathe is a real is a, is a statement fraught with a sense of me and mine and emotions and strong feelings about it. Like if you've ever had a, a, any disease like asthma, I, when I was a child, I was asthmatic, <clears throat> and I remember uh, how difficult it was to breathe. There's a real panic as <laughs> you're kind of trying to catch your breath. I can't breathe anymore. I used to turn blue. My mother used to go into a panic. She said I could turn blue just like that. And that's a real panic because a sense of of me, I can't breathe, I, I want to breathe, arises. 
let's say in normal breathing right now, say if there's no, no as, asthma, problem with asthma or breathing is just normal, uncomplicated, not difficult, not, not painful, then it's just, it's, it's not a self, is it? <laughs> Unless you start thinking about whether the, your breathing is as good as somebody else's or you like it or don't like it, or you wish you didn't have to breathe, or you like to breathe better than you do. Well, that applies to all the bodily functions in that they are as they are. They're natural functions. They belong to planetary life. They're not persons. They're not, they're not mine. They're not me and mine. But yet, we can create all kinds of personal problems about them, about eating food, about sexual desires, about, uh, about uh, excretory functions of the body, about perspiration. Isn't it in, uh, in the Victorian days, women were not supposed to sweat. It was unladylike. All kinds of perceptions that, that somehow sweating was a vulgar and uh, disgusting thing to do that men could get away with, but women couldn't. <laughs> because the people were attached to a perception of femininity as being something... Uh, totally refined, with nothing coarse, not the coarse, uh, unpleasant aspects of a human body had to be suppressed and unacknowledged and rejected out of consciousness because the view of women had to be that they, that they were pure and refined and with, with nothing coarse or ugly or unpleasant about them. Now that's a cultural perception, isn't it? That was very much a cultural hang-up of, of uh, Victorian Britain, say, a hundred years ago, wanting the female to be uh, like a, a, a beautiful flower, uh, just a, a total refined, uh, pure kind of creature, and a, to- and a total rejection of, of, the, of anything that uh, spoiled that illusion. Now that's a cultural conditioning process. In other cultures, they, uh, that they don't do that. They more or less regard the, the, the ma- matter-of-factly, the, the natural processes of a human body, whether it's male or female. So we can really become absolutely ridiculous, can't we? It's like Victorian England or, or whatever. It becomes so absurd that it, uh, it is, uh, then there's a, a reaction, a tendency to go off to the other extreme. To overreact to one extreme, go to the other, to, to the opposite. Now, there's a common attitude around these days about that you should have a good ego before you practice vipassana meditation in order to realize anatta or no self. 
So you should have a highly developed ego, uh, and then you can let it go. Uh, there's, there's some people I've heard have talked to me about this, that they think I shouldn't be teaching anatta to you, because some of you, have your egos haven't developed to the point yet where you can let them go. Well, that's another view and opinion, isn't it? That uh, the ego uh, is something that you should have, uh, and it should be a certain way. But what I'm pointing to is that ego, whether it's a, you have a positive view of yourself or a negative view of yourself, ego is, is this way. It's, just, it's a conditioned thing. It's not, I'm not trying to take away your egos and destroy, and destroy your egos in any way, but to recognize, I don't see how that can harm anyone. It can only make you, help you to accept even a, maybe a wretched ego <laughs> for what it is without judging it and, and feeling that you, sh- you should start thinking about yourself as being the best rather than the worst. Reading some of these uh, uh, these uh, uh, journals, Dharma journals from America, and, and the, sometimes women will come out and say, "I, I realize my true nature. That I'm a wonderful woman. I'm I'm a I'm a miracle of God. I'm an absolutely I'm beautiful and lovable, and I'm 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 uh, just the happiest, most wonderful woman." And to me, when, when you have to make statements like that, it always makes me kind of wonder what you're trying to really say. If I have to go around making, talking like that, uh, you know, I realize that I'm really a wonderful man. You know, It's the opposite of, of thinking, oh, you know, I'm a really hopeless case, I'm a failure, I'm, a, I'm an unlovable old tramp. Nobody, can't say anybody could possibly like anybody like me, thinking the worst about yourself, or thinking that you are the best. Well, a lot of this view is that you should think the best. You know, you should realize your your true, wonderful nature as being an an absolutely wonderful, lovable, beautiful creature. But I would, I shouldn't think that was necessary because both, uh, I've I've learned a lot from thinking about myself as being hopeless. (laughs) From seeing the ego not as something to, to develop uh, and, and grasp at, but to understand and know. And from that, you say the, there, there is a sense of self-respect. When we talk about self-respect, living in, in a way that one respects. I'm not trying to convince myself I'm an absolutely wonderful man, but I do respect myself because I live in a way that I respect. And I try to live, do things and act in a way that I find that I can respect. So that as an as a individual being, as a monk, as, a, as this being here, I, have, I respect it. 
It's, I don't feel ashamed or averse to it. So maybe that, that is a, 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 an ego, but it is not an ego in the, in the sense that I have to think about myself in a positive way. I'm just you know, trying to, to go from thinking that I'm a hopeless case to being the, the most wonderful creature on the planet. It's not in, in kind of aff- affirmations of self or in negations of self, but in really s- seeing and penetrating the self, knowing the self for what it is. Not judging it and thinking you shouldn't have one. Uh, anatta doesn't mean an annihilation of a self, but it means seeing self for what it is and no longer identifying, no longer clinging and grasping at self-views. as your mind moves, as, as you realize calm and the awakened calm state of being awake and calm, you can contemplate, is there any self there? The self is uh, you just being able to, to, to reflect on the way it is not judging, not criticizing, not creating anything, but just observing. Noting, noticing. Then you can be, you can be aware of, of the I am arising. What I think, what I feel, what I want. If you want my opinion, what I like, what I don't like, these are something that, 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 that arise and cease in the mind, and you can observe that. In the practice of, of listening, <coughs> inner listening, I, would, I, used to def- I used to take the I am and just listen to it. I, I call it the space around I am. And, uh, intentionally, deliberate li- 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 intention, think I am. And before I think it, I notice that there was no thought there. Everybody do this. You're going to think I am with intention, but don't think it right now. Then think I am. And then there's, there's nothing left after, is there? No, I mean, that's such an obvious... Uh, so simple, isn't it? But you wouldn't notice that, would you? You wouldn't notice the before and after unless I pointed it out, would you? You wouldn't have never have noticed that if I didn't point out 
that before you think I am, there's nobody. There's just, there's awareness, there's, there's mindfulness, isn't there? There's an intention in the mind to think, but there's not a thought. So then you say, there's no I am yet. Then the I am, the, the, the thought I am, arises and ceases. And the, the importance, the impo- we're pointing at, at the emptiness rather than at the form. At the mind that the I am arises and ceases in rather than the, the condition of I am. So this way you have, you, you have a perspective, don't you? You, you have a perspective, uh, seeing I am in, uh, in perspective rather than as an obsession or just a habit, just a habit formation. I am a, a Buddhist monk. I am a, a wonderful man. I am a hopeless case. <laughs> they all arise and cease. And I used to deliberately think all the the worst possible thought. I think, what can I think that's the worst? The worst possible thing to think. Have you ever thought of that? What what is the worst possible thought that a human being can have? And then I I think one up. That arises and ceases in the mind too, doesn't it? What is the best thought, the highest, most super altruistic, finest thought that a human being could possibly think? And that arises and ceases. This is a searching, an experimentation, an investigation of thought. Because we're taking thought, say, the worst and the best. Because if we out of deliberate intention of, of examining and investigating thought. Where we can be very concerned with the quality of the thought and react to it. I shouldn't think bad thoughts, I should think good thoughts. And then we have bad thoughts. I shouldn't be thinking like that, that's bad thought. Wish I didn't think have those kind of thoughts. Wish I only had beautiful thoughts, loving thoughts, kindly thoughts. And not those selfish, mean, nasty thoughts. And so then we we caught into the into the whirlpool of self again. I shouldn't think. I wish I didn't think like that. I w- should be. Th- I wish I were someone who had beautiful thoughts. I wish I were a loving person uh, with a generous heart. And, a, and I wish I could be just uh, full of full of love and joy. For uh, but instead I I'm frightened and jealous and get angry and get upset and I, and I have bad thoughts and I, and I you know, just uh, terrible. And go around and around. Why do I? What's wrong with me that I should be like this? But when you're looking at thought itself, examining in, 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 it, in its perspective, the background, then it then the best thoughts, the, the finest, the purest, the cleanest, the highest, 
as well as the meanest, the dirtiest, the nastiest. Arise and see. You're, you're noticing the space, the empty mind, rather than the thought. You're not, you're not making anything about the thought anymore. It's just, it's just a, a condition that you're noticing that begins and ends. And you're, you're deliberately making that condition begin and end. You're, you're creating the condition and it ceases uh, to observe the beginning and ending of a thought, whether it be the finest, purest, or the meanest. <coughs> this is w- one way of really getting to know, uh, to realize, realize the emptiness of mind, the mind that is, that, that is clear and bright, but not personal, not me and mine, not a man or a woman not clean or dirty, not high or low, not good or bad. To realize that is to, to you abide more and more in the emptiness rather than, than in the sangsara of whirling around with one thought going on to another. We develop thinking habits, don't we? Uh, one thought stimulates another. So of associative thinking. Like if you're angry with somebody, if you feel anger toward somebody, and he said that to me, and I'll never forgive him. And then last week, you know what he did. And then last year, do you know what he did? Five years ago, ten years ago, The mind just connects to all the bad things somebody you, you know has done when you're angry. And that when you're angry, then that, that stimulates this thought. He, he, that was a terrible thing you did. And then you did this last week, and then last month, last year, ten years ago. When you really like them again, you love them again, I really love you, you're wonderful. And, and then the, the person says, but you know what I did last week? Oh, never mind, it's nothing really. <laughs> Don't even mention it. <laughs> because when you love somebody, you don't want to remember. The mind doesn't associate with the bad things, does it? It's, it, wants, it, it goes along with the nice things the good things. <clears throat> when you're in love with somebody and somebody is critical of them, you, you, you fall in love with somebody, then somebody comes and says, you know what he's really like? You know what he did? You don't want to hear it. Go away. Get lost. But you're in love with somebody and somebody comes along and talks about how wonderful they are, you, you, you feel so happy. Your friend is a wonderful person, is really sensitive. And you know what, what he did last week? He helped an old lady across the street. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my sweetheart, wonderful person. Mind's conditioned to associate 
it's very conditioned to associate things so that we have, uh, uh, say, certain things will stimulate uh, remembrance of, of things past. So that suddenly you find yourself having memories <coughs> of something that happened before, or kind of deja vu kind of experiences. And but because of this uh, associativeness, ability to associate and remember. If we develop, if you, if you develop subtleties in thought, like you, you like to think and you, you're a great thinker and you're an intellect and you like to, uh, you like to study logic and uh, you, you, uh, or you're a, a scientist, or you have a particular way of thinking, or a particular jargon uh, that you use, uh, and you become very skilled within that, within in the associations of a particular word pattern, word conditioning process. You hear like sociologists talking about patrilineal, matrilineal, this and that societies, and. It, means it doesn't mean much to anyone else. A, a, to, a jargon that, that a particular discipline develops is conditioned into the mind, isn't it? It's associative. You, get, you become conditioned to the mind will, will quite uh, spontaneously go from one thing to the next. But all of that arises and ceases. And where the awakened person notices when there's, n when there's no, no thing, the unawakened person doesn't notice. Not that they're, my, they're thinking all the time, but they don't notice when they're not thinking. Because <coughs> they're only conscious through thought. Thought, the I am, and, the, and, con and absorption into conditions makes you feel alive, doesn't it? What is excitement? Why do you, why do you seek excitement and interesting things? Because that's the time you're alive and conscious. When you're when the, when there's no, nothing happening, then you don't you're not really conscious anymore. You don't feel alive. You're you're, you're not absorbed into anything. So you're you're just kind of floating around in a fog, and then you you're looking for something to absorb, something interesting, something pleasant, something sensual pleasure or something exciting, to feel alive again, to be reborn again as a person, and feel alive and and uh, have int be interested again. And so that, that the unawakened, ignorant human being is constantly having to be reborn again in searching for something to interest them, to, to grasp, to feel alive, to be born again as a person. And that can be through gamadanha, through just sensual pleasures, or through bhavadana, through becoming, uh, through vipavadana, through getting rid of. Like asceticism definitely is, is the self that feels alive when, when you're torturing yourself. When you're, when you're denying yourself and you're torturing yourself, there's a strong sense of self in that, isn't there? I feel alive when I'm, when I'm fasting and when I'm when on my bed of nails, 
my hair shirt, and the whips beat me so I can feel alive. <laughs> we wonder why a kind of sadomasochists, we think, what? why do people do things like that? Because they feel alive. When you're being beaten, you feel alive, don't you? If you're being persecuted, you feel alive. But if, you're, if nobody's persecuting you, nobody's paying attention to you, nobody's beating you, and you don't have a bed of nails and a hair shirt, and something nice to eat, and something interesting to do, and something to do, then you tend to just fall asleep, or go dull, or apathetic. So the the, the realms of stimulation are very important to the ignorant humanity, isn't it? Being stimulated. Why do people watch Dynasty in Dallas? <laughs> because you, you actually become Dynasty in Dallas when you're watching it. And you become absorbed into, into these glamorous people's uh, ways of doing things. You, if, if, you know, a, a good film, I mean, not a particularly good film in the sense of it being good, but a, a successful film, cinema, will absorb your attention so you forget yourself. You forget any, everything and you're completely absorbed into the story of these, these shadows on a screen. If it can't absorb you, then, it's a, then it, it, you, you feel that you've wasted your money. If you haven't been completely deluded by the film, you've, <laughs> you've wasted your money. <laughs> Why do people like to go to boxing matches? I heard about the fight between, years ago, it was with Muhammad Ali and, what's that one, Fraser? I don't follow these things. Somebody was telling me about this fight in the, I think it was in the Philippines, and these two kind of uh, incredibly strong uh, black men uh, beat each other up over 15 rounds to where they say Muhammad Ali, who used to be quite a lively character, they say has, has brain damage and is now kind of a moron something gone off in his head because, I mean, I guess Fraser just kind of kept attacking his head with his fist. I mean, imagine if Fraser had fists like this, you know. <laughs> imagine and muscles that big and that's coming, <laughs> pounding on your head. Something's going to break loose. <laughs> Fifteen rounds of of being brutalized like that. Why? Why did people watch it? It was, people spent m so much money on this fight to w and to watch these two pathetic creatures brutalize each other. And they were getting lots of money for doing it to each other. Yes, it's exciting, isn't it? Fighting, violence, it's absorbing. 
you see if by men especially we get very we get very uh, I, I think women tend to turn away from it a bit some women some women I find it <laughs> but most men I'm sure this is a fight you just you can hardly resist it's so absorbing <clears throat> Notice the subtlety then of your life here, of where there's, where you really are beginning to notice, pay attention to, to where there's no self, to where there's silence, stillness, calm, where you're not seeking uh, things to stimulate the mind asking not to even read during this retreat, or to, to, to seek uh, external stimulation, to try to, try to, to distract yourself, to, so that you can more and more realize emptiness of mind. And when you begin to appreciate that, then that's our natural inclination, is towards non, non-arising, not, not trying to be reborn again, not being caught up or absorbed into things again. We, 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 that we're no longer trying to distract ourselves. We become, we, we feel more peaceful and at ease with being with the way things are. The breathing of the body, the silence, the way it is. We feel peacefulness and calm is the result of that rather than excitement, agitation, and all the, the the rest of it that goes along with that. Uh, this to to train in the in the use of this paticca samuppada the reflection on this the, the way things are that 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 at this time there's because of birth physical birth there's there's all this equipment here isn't there it's breathing it feels and consciousness. This is the result of birth. It gets sicknesses, gets colds. It's the flu. It gets, uh, it ages and it will die. Because there are eyes, there's going to be, there's going to be eye consciousness. When the conditions are there, when there's light and, and the eye contacts an object, then there's eye consciousness. The conditions are there, but it's not a personal thing anymore. You're looking at eye consciousness, contemplating it, rather than attaching to it. You're reflecting on what I, on Jakku Vinyana, what eye consciousness is, rather than 
just reacting with I consciousness. Reacting is just a, oh, look at that beautiful Buddha Rupa. And just reaction as the eye contacts the Buddha Rupa. Think, oh, I really like that Buddha Rupa. That's beautiful. And then you start looking, oh, look at those flowers. Look at those. Oh, they haven't changed the curtains yet in this place. <laughs> but when you're contemplating eye consciousness, <coughs> you take something like, like this. A box. You're, contem- you're deliberately, you're, you're, you're contemplating now, reflecting on what, what is eye consciousness? The eye contacts the object and that's consciousness, there's consciousness of this, of this uh, object. Consciousness is like this, you, you can observe. It, it, when there's just consciousness, you're not even Perceiving it as being anything is it's just it's just in consciousness. But you're not you have not made any comment or judged it or called it anything. You haven't even called it a box yet. But it's there's consciousness. Then you then you can perceive it as a you, you give it a that's that's a box, Kleenex, blue. So then that's a reflection on, on consciousness. So this is consciousness. It's consciousness is like this. Rather than I am, uh, the, the, the sense of I am going, operating and thinking, this is my box of Kleenex. And uh, we may not even, we, we may just make the assumption that you put this, this Kleenex here for me. And so Robert takes Kleenex you can't have my Kleenex. <laughs> Get your own box of Kleenex. <laughs> but if, but when there's, the, we can we can see that that if if they conventionally say this is this is my box of Kleenex, say if you give it to me, say this is this is your. Your box of Kleenex, Arjun Samedo, it's not Robert's. Then I, <laughs> then I have this, and I have, uh, but it's a convention, isn't it? It's not, the, the unawakened mind is, doesn't even <laughs> contemplate it, does it? It's just, it makes assumptions. It operates from an assumption of a self, and that these things belong to me, or they belong to somebody else, in a kind of absolute Assumptions, unquestioning assumptions that one makes or never questions. Where in reflective meditation, you're, you're looking at the assumptions. You're contemplating the way things are. So you, you become very wise and clear about what, what it really is about. So that you're not going to be deluded by what happened and just caught in reactions, immature reactions and fears and desires in the w- because the world moves in this way or that way. Just like with Sister Sundra's cold. 
<laughs> it could be a form of suffering. I don't want to get a cold. I hate getting colds. I want to get rid of it. Or it can be a reflection. You can hear the, the resistance, the inconvenience, the, the, the suffering that goes along with having colds. You can contemplate it. And you can contemplate the fact that colds happen because of, of being born as human beings. Human beings get colds, get colds. It's like this, and that's a reflection on the way things are. Not a judgment. Not a personal, it's not, not blaming anybody or, or taking it personally. It's seeing and, and using life's experiences for a dhamma rather than uh, just conditioning reinforcements of an ignorant self-view. Uh, in this retreat, really, really look at the I am's, listen to them, uh, and 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 practice listening to the space around, to the silence, really noticing. In in this room, if you just notice the space in this room. What do you have to do to notice the space in this room? You, you, you take your attention off the objects, don't you? You're not concentrating on an object anymore, but the objects are here. But the, the space gives you a perspective on the whole room. But if I focus on the Buddha Rupa, then I absorb into the, into the object and, I don't, and the space is not I'm not aware of the space until I bring attention to the space. Mm. So we need to really contemplate space and form just as a visual experience, you can do it. Or as a mental experience, you can see thought and emptiness. I am and thinking and ideas and emptiness, just like form and space. In, in, through the, through eye consciousness, notice when when there's no self and when there is self. What self is? There rises and ceases. It's it's not a it's not absolute. There's no permanent self. Self is self views. I am uh, is merely uh, a, a conditioning a condition that comes and goes according to other conditions. And so you're, there's awareness of the condition of the condition and of the unconditioned, the emptiness, where the conditions 